Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. Hey, welcome. Uh, Glad you're here today, and uh, welcome to everybody in the house. Welcome to our online campus, uh, uh, Bluffton community, and then want to say good morning or hello to our crew that's meeting in Fostoria. So uh, we're so glad you guys are meeting together, and we love you guys. So uh, yeah, let's get into this morning. Um, As Josh had mentioned, we're going to ask everybody to turn to Colossians 2. Close, close. One's, one's close, but uh, Colossians chapter 2, it's kind of at the back of the New Testament, and we're going to start in verse 6, um, and uh, we're just going to kind of get going right into this thing, because there's a decent amount of ground to cover here, and I want to I wanna get through this uh, well and not rush, but uh, if, if this is your first time here, uh, we're in week four of the series called King Forever, where we've been studying through the New Testament book of Colossians. And in like 30 seconds, let me just kind of bring you up to speed of what we've talked about and where we're at. Um, The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to a city uh, that had a a group of new believers uh, that had a new church that had launched. And what's interesting is Paul had never even been to the city of Colossae. Right? Uh, rather, you had a guy named Epaphras who came to faith in Ephesus, and then he went to his hometown, which is Colossae. He shared the gospel there. People started coming to faith. Uh, and then as a result, Paul ends up writing this letter to encourage these young disciples to keep growing in their faith uh, in Christ, uh, growing through prayer, growing through knowing that uh, Christ is first, right? He's king over everything. And then if you were here last week, Pastor Matt mentioned that um, there's always kind of being aware that there's kind of sideways ideas that are being purported that look right, they seem right, they seem like they might be helpful, but they're actually to the side of the gospel and who Christ is. And so that's where we're picking up in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. And so we're going to read uh, that passage. I'm going to read uh, from the English Standard Version. That's what's on the screen, but you can follow along with what you have. And it says this, uh, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And so I want to pause there for a second because there's enough there just to kind of hang and, and talk about this where Paul says that as you have received Christ, right? so he's talking to Christ followers, he's talking to disciples, as you've received Christ, now continue to walk in him. And I think that begs the question, how did these Colossians receive Christ? And it leads to the larger question for all of us. How how do any of us receive Christ? How do any of us come to faith in Jesus Christ, right? And I think many times when we hear this phrase, right, like receiving Christ as Lord or coming to faith, or getting saved, whatever language you might use, we tend to think of that moment when someone says yes to Jesus Christ as their forgiven leader, right? Uh, Maybe they kneel down and pray. Uh, Maybe they come to that recognition uh, in their bedroom or in their car, and they recognize they need to start trusting Jesus. And so we think of that one moment when somebody says yes to Jesus Christ for the first time. But you have to understand there's actually more to it than that. That's included, but there's more than that, right? 
In fact, the Bible makes it really clear that when somebody says yes to Jesus Christ, there's all of this stuff that God has done leading up to that moment, right? That he's been working, he's been leading. Uh, Things like this, the Holy Spirit opening our eyes to see the truth of Jesus Christ, right? Before we even say yes, there's like this growing interest in who he is, discovering truth about who he is. Uh, The Holy Spirit uh, convicting us of our own sin. We start to realize that the condition we're in is we're actually separated from God. We're spiritually dead. We're we're not even really alive. Yeah, we're, we're breathing, but we're not really fully alive. And so the Spirit helps us to begin to realize that. Uh, The Father begins drawing us to Jesus more and more. And then there's this moment where as someone shares with you the account of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, or maybe you're reading about it in the scriptures, or maybe you're reading about it in a book, or you're hearing it on some kind of podcast or online or something along those lines, but we hear that about his life, his death, and his resurrection, and and in this moment, right, our spirits are like quickened to life, right? Our spirits are quickened to life, and there's this amazing clarity that comes over us about who Jesus is. It's like, oh, wow, he really is God. He really is the Son of God. He really is forgiver and leader. And then what ends up happening is we reject the idea of living a life under our own leadership, and we lean into faith by saying yes to Jesus as our leader, saying yes to Jesus as our forgiver, right? And so you have to see that this desire to know who Jesus is, you have to see that, that this recognition of our condition and how Jesus solves that, that, that wasn't started by us. Like, you know, we didn't come up with ideas like, oh, I, think I, I think I need Jesus. You know, you, we don't come up with that stuff on our own. Actually, that's God working in us. It's a gift. The fact that any of us even come to faith in Jesus Christ is a gift from God. And so I want to go back to our original question. How did the, uh, these Colossian disciples come to faith? How do we come to faith in Jesus Christ? Well, I think there's a passage in the New Testament. You don't necessarily have to go there. You can write this passage down and look at it later. But Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, I think would be really helpful to, to see what happens and how people come to faith. You, if you've been around the church, maybe you've heard this. Maybe you even have it quoted by memory. Let's do this, actually. Let's read this passage um, out loud together, starting with, for by grace. Are you ready? Go. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast, right? And so there's this clarity. The reason any one of us puts our faith in Jesus Christ is by grace, right? It's a gift. And so the Colossians received Jesus Christ by grace. Their salvation was a gift from God. And so in the same way, you and I, when we put our faith in Jesus, it's by grace, right? We we didn't do anything to earn it. We're we're simply responding. We're saying yes to the offer. That's what's taking place. And so when, when Paul writes that as you received Christ, so walk in him, right? That's what verse six says in Colossians chapter two, as you received Christ, so walk in him. Here's what he's saying. You were saved by grace, and no one argues that, right? 
It's just like nobody's going to argue that point. But here's the, the second part of that point is this. You've been saved by grace. So continue walking, living, and growing in that same grace. Right? That's what he's saying. You've been saved by grace, and you can continue living by grace. And so what he's doing is he's painting this, this picture. He's saying, saved by grace, living by grace, that's very, very different than like living uh, by the power of your own efforts, uh, being, or being saved by grace, and then living by work, living by religion, living by the sweat of your brow. Okay, okay, I'll be saved by grace, but everything else is on me, God. I'll take it over from here. Paul's going, no, 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 no. That's not what it looks like. That's not how it plays out. And so Paul, what he does here is if he says, listen, if you guys have forgotten what it means to be saved by grace, let me give you a quick crash course. And so in verse 8, right, look at Colossians 2, starting in verse 8. He says, listen, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ, right? He's saying, don't, don't buy that stuff. There's, it's, it's not helpful. And then he goes on to say, this is how, this is how you came to faith. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead." And you, who were dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross." He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, okay? Now, here's what I want you to do. If you've got a Bible, if you've got your phone or whatever, just for take a quick moment, I want you to scan over those verses that we just read, okay? Just do a quick scan. And, and what I want you to look for is Paul is making a list, right? He's made a list of all of the things that Christ brings to the table, and he's making a list of all of the things that you and I bring to the table, okay? So just scan those for a second. If you're watching online, just scan those verses for a second. What does Christ bring to the table? What do we bring to the table? All right, so if you're looking at these verses, what does Christ bring to the table? Well, let's see. Jesus brings the whole fullness of God in the flesh, Right? Jesus is every bit of God in the flesh. He brings that to the table. What else does he bring? Well, Jesus fills us. Uh, Jesus also brings his authority to the table. Uh, Jesus is the one who circumcises our hearts, cutting away that which is unnecessary. Uh, Jesus is the one who was buried dead, right? He brings that to the table. He died. Uh, Jesus brings to the table his resurrection, the first one resurrected from the dead. Uh, Jesus brings to the table ownership over our sin, right? It was nailed to the cross. He took ownership of our sin. What else does he bring to the table? Oh, yeah. Uh, Jesus brings victory over sin and Satan, actually humiliates uh, sin and Satan in the process. So there's, and there's more that you could infer, but that's literally just reading the passages of, of the things that Jesus brings to the table. That's what he brings to the table, all of those things. So now look at what we bring to the table 
in these passages. You know what we bring? We were dead in our sin. (laughs) We racked up this record of debt that stood against us, right? We brought death. We brought debt. That's what we brought to the table. And so in this really thoughtful way, Paul contrasts what Christ has done and what we have done. And here's what Paul is saying. Jesus Christ has already done everything. You got to catch that. That's so critical to understand. Paul is saying, Jesus has already done everything. We brought death, we brought debt. Jesus brought everything else that solves that and all the blessings that come with it. And there's this plain, like this in plain sight secret right here in these passages that if you move too quick, you'll actually miss the thrust of who we are in regards to our faith in Christ, right? Here it is. Nine times in just these couple of passages, Paul uses the phrase in him, in Christ, with him, or with Christ, okay? In him, in Christ, with him, with Christ. And here's, right, here's what he's saying. Jesus has already done everything. He's done all the work. The perfect life, he did it. The perfect death that cancels out our record of debt, he did it. His resurrection from the dead, he did it, right? Uh, taking ownership over our personal sin. Think about that. Like Jesus owns, right? It's not like, well, I'll cover for you. He says, no, I'm taking ownership of your sin. Every wrongdoing, every wrong thought, every wrong action, every wrong word, everything you've done independent of a relationship with God, and, right? I am taking, that is mine now. He faced the wrath of God alone, no one else there, And then he grants to us forgiveness when we put our trust in him. And he gives us victory over sin, over death, and over Satan. And so what Paul is saying is this, listen, Jesus Christ has done everything, and we're in him, and he's in us. Right? And so it's like, man, can you, can you think about this? Everything Christ has done, he's taken ownership of my stuff, and he's given me ownership of his and it all comes by grace. You have to know that. You have to see that. This is the primary point that Paul's making. It's by grace. What did you bring to the table? Nothing. What did Christ bring to the table? Everything. Everything. And so now it's by grace through faith that we get Christ's record, why we get Christ's accomplishment. What an amazing gift. And if you're listening to this, some of you guys are going, it is an amazing gift. And at the same time, it doesn't seem right. Think about it. It doesn't seem right. Like when you hear this idea that Christ has done everything and we simply receive it as a gift, it seems unfair. If we're being honest, right? Like it's unfair. Like this is lopsided. He brings everything, I bring nothing. It's like a mirage. And so some of us, like, we struggle. It's like, I just can't accept something this incredible, this weighty, this costly. There's got to be something I can do. And if that's going through your mind or has ever gone through your mind, you're not alone. Other people have thought that too. There were others actually who thought that people should, like, have to attempt to pay God back. 
right? <laughs> Good luck. Um, but, you know, but it, it, some thought, well, you should, at the very least, you should prove that you deserve this grace. Like, prove your commitment, earn this grace. And so that's what Paul talks about in these next passages, right? Starting in verse 16. He says, listen, right, Christ has done everything. All of it. You didn't do anything. He did it all. Look at verse 16. Therefore, so because he's done everything, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Right? It's, it's not from you. It's from him. Verse 20, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you're still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Like, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they're used, according to human precepts and teachings. You gotta, listen, you got to catch this, it's so critical. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but... This is huge. They are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh, right? And so you had some people who thought that you should follow certain religious rules or at least like feel the pain of, you know, being committed to Christ. And, and they're like, listen, you, you can't just enjoy the grace of Christ, you, you, just, you can't do that. You should prove your commitment to him through some type of regulations, through some kind of religious performance, or, you know, I don't know, at least a couple times a day, just smack yourself in the face, and then you can say, I identify with Christ. Uh, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and so, but what Paul is saying, right, they're saying, listen, you, you don't live and you don't grow the same way you came. You have, you have to do more. You have to do things. And so there were some people who, who thought that and actually began teaching that to these new believers. Did you know that, that grace, actually grace itself, the grace of Jesus Christ, can actually be a stumbling block to faith in him for some people? Did you know that? Actually, the grace of Christ can be a stumbling block for some people to come to faith. Because grace is unfair, right? It's unfair. Grace is unfair. Grace, grace is lopsided. Grace is uneven. Grace is humbling. In fact, grace is a little bit embarrassing when you're on the receiving end. Think about that. Right? You do something wrong and somebody just forgives you and they don't like, expect you to pay penance. They don't expect you to like, earn their love back. It's a little embarrassing right? It's humbling. So it's like, I, I can't just receive this gift and enjoy it. There's got to be a way for me to pay God back for his gift. There's got to be a way for me to earn God's grace. Does that sound as weird to you coming out of my mouth as it does to me coming out of my mouth? I've got to earn somehow the gift. That's the nature of a gift. If you have to earn it, it's not a gift, right? 
And so what happens is some people try really, really hard at being good. If there's a rule, they're going to follow it, right? And if there's not a rule, they're going to make one up, right? And they're going to put it in place. Uh, and so they, they load heaps of requirements uh, on their backs. And what happens is the weight of all of this actually makes them feel like I'm doing something. I'm doing things, right? I, I'm, I'm giving back to God, right? I'm showing him how committed that I am. I'm earning his gift. Uh, and some people, right, they go this route. They actually amp it up a notch. It's not enough for them to put weight on themselves. They actually become like spiritual hall monitors, right? And they got, you know, they got their little pad of like, oh, okay, I didn't know you went there. Uh, you know, and they're like, you know, making little notes and like, well, she can't be a Christian because Christians wouldn't do that. And they're like handing out demerits <laughs> in the form of like judgment and, uh, you know, like prayer requests. Hey, did you hear about Tom? We got to pray for him. Um, <laughs> so you got, you got, <laughs> did I hit too close to home on that one? Did I? <laughs> okay. Um, so, but yeah, so you've got these people. But th- then you've got other people who take on all, like, all new kinds of obligations, right? Like new religious regulations, uh, spiritual you-have-tos, right? So uh, things like this, like you have to say the right prayer if you're going to be an actual believer in Jesus Christ. And so if you didn't say the right prayer, then at some point you got to go say it, and then that's when you become a Christian before it didn't count. Uh, you know, other things, it's like you have to pick the right music style, and so if you worship to the wrong music style, you're not really a Christian, uh, right? If you do the old stuff, it's like, oh, gosh, that's so dated. If you do the new stuff, it's like, oh, it's so shallow, uh, right? It's like, you know, so it doesn't matter. Pick, you know, you got to pick the right one. And if you don't, you're not a real Christian. Uh, you have to, you actually have to exhibit certain spiritual gifts. And so if certain spiritual gifts don't emanate from you, then you're, you're also not a Christian. Uh, you have to pick the right translation of a Bible, right? And so if you don't pick the right one, you're, you're not really a Christian, you know, so, you know, you got you to gotta do that. So, so they create all these new obligations, and they're all in an effort to prove that I'm worthy of the gift, to somehow earn the grace of Christ. But then you still have others who hear about grace, and they stiff-arm Jesus completely because they're convinced there's some fine print that they have not had access to yet there's some bait and switch that takes place that if I say yes to Jesus, it's not really what it seems to be. And I'm not getting caught in that. And so what happens is actually grace, the grace of God through Jesus Christ, becomes a stumbling block for some people to come to faith. The very gift becomes a stumbling block. Have you ever, uh, you ever seen the, the movie Saving Private Ryan? You ever seen, raise your hand if you've seen Saving Private Ryan. All right, good. All right, awesome. We've got cultured people here. Okay, so um, if, if, you, <laughs> if you haven't, if you're uncultured, uh, if, uh, <laughs> the premise is that in World War II, uh, there is a mother who has uh, lost three out of her four sons in battle, okay? So this squad is put together to go find... Uh, Private James Francis Ryan and to save him and bring him home, right? And so along the way, you've got men who are in the squad that lose their lives to try to save this guy they've never met. They don't know anything about him. And then uh, in the final battle scene, Tom Hanks' character, uh, he's, he's sitting on a bridge. He's, he's about to die. And uh, James, right, Private Ryan is right there in front of him and he kind of grabs... Ryan, and he looks him in the eye, and he says this, right? He, like, it's clear that 
Private Ryan's going to be saved. He's going to go home. He's going to get to do all that kind of stuff. And Tom Hanks looks him in the eye and he says, earn this. And he, and he leans in and he says again, earn this. Right? And so what Tom Hanks is saying, right? He's saying, earn this sacrifice. Live, live the rest of your life in a way that proves you deserve this chance. Go cure cancer. Do something worth living that you got this chance. Just don't go live normal. And I'll tell you, you, you I, like, we see that, that, that moment. We see that scene and we're like, yeah, tell him, Tom Hanks. Earn it. You don't deserve this. You don't do anything. Earn it. And so then you fast forward to the end of the movie and you've got like an 80-year-old uh, you know, Private James Ryan is at Arlington National Cemetery, and he's standing in front of Tom Hanks' grave, and and he like you can tell he's very emotional, and he goes to his and he's remembering all of this stuff, right? And he goes to his wife, and he says, "Tell me, I have been a good man, all right? Tell me that I've been a good man, because you see, he's not convinced that he's earned it." He's not convinced that he's earned this, right? It's a moving scene. It's very powerful. And at the exact same time, it is a horrible representation of what grace is. The worst. I mean, the worst possible. That's not grace at all in the least amount. See, Private Ryan, he, he wasn't sure that he earned it. Here's the truth. He can't. Do you see that? He can't earn it. There's no way. There's nothing he can do to earn it. There's nothing he can do to pay it back. Like He didn't do anything on the front end for so many of these men to lose their lives, to give their lives for his. And he can't pay it back either. Right? There's nothing he can do. And so what you do is you see this man who has spent his entire, way, his entire life living under the weight of trying to earn it. And he still needs someone else to confirm to him that he has. But nobody can do that for him, right? No one can do that. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, Christ has done everything. He has done all of it. He's done all of the work. He he, he gave his life. He was resurrected. All of it has been done. There's no more work to do. You can't earn it. You can't pay it back. That's the nature of real grace. Did you know that? That's real grace. You can't earn it. You can't pay it back. You can't add anything to it. There's no amount of religious rules that you can follow. You can't punish your body. You can't guilt yourself enough. You can't be good enough. In fact, any attempt you make to pay back God or to show that you deserve this grace, Paul calls that self-made religion, right? It's right there in verse 23. That's what he's talking about. Any efforts that you and I take on ourselves, like, I'm going to show God. I I deserve this grace, right? That's self-made religion. And Paul said, self-made religion does nothing to stop sin, right? Because self-made religion is like, I'm going to do things to prove to God that I can do this. I can handle this. I can take care of this on my own. Why does it do nothing to stop sin? Because it is sin. It is sin. That's why it does nothing. It, it appears helpful. It appears good. It's like, yeah, I'm going to do all these things, do all these regulations. I'm going to put all these new you know, requirements on me and on somebody else, and I'm going to check all this stuff. I'm going to do it. But what you don't realize is that in itself is sin. Now, you go, how can that be? That's like good things. 
many times when we think of sin, we go, oh, that's the bad words we say. That's the hurtful things we do. That's the evil thoughts, the evil motives, the, all of those things. And that's true. That is sin. But do you, know, do you know where the heart of sin lies? Do you know where the heart of sin actually lies? The, the nugget, the kernel, where sin begins? You know what it is? It's independence from God. That is the core kernel mustard seed of sin. Independence from God, right? Go back when you get a chance, read Genesis 3. God gives clear guidance and direction, asked Adam and Eve to trust him by faith that this is true, and they made a decision independent of God. They did what they wanted to do instead. That is the essence of sin. That is the core of sin. Sin is the philosophy that I can live independent of God, I can make choices independent of God, and I can live my own way without God. And sometimes that comes in the form, I'm going to do everything I can opposed to God, and sometimes I'm going to try to do everything I can in line with God, but on my own. So do you see it's actually both evil and good people need God? Do you see that? Because any action, any word, any, anything independent of God, that is sin. Sin is trying to prove you can do it on your own, that somehow you're equal with God. And that is what makes grace so chafing to our sinfulness. Right? Grace makes that chafing to our sinful hearts because grace requires dependence on God. Do you see that? Grace is dependence on God. Grace is saying, Christ has done everything, and I'm just going to trust him. I'm not going to add anything. I'm not going to try to earn it. I'm not going to do none of that, right? And so grace is receiving the truth that Jesus has done all that's required, and there's nothing else for me to do. And so what do we do? You go back, right? Verse 6, the same way you receive Christ, so walk in him, so continue in him. Same way you receive Christ, by grace, so walk in him, by grace. Look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. It's Paul. This is what you do. He says, listen, if then you've been raised with Christ, what do we do? Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Look at this. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so what do we do in response to God's grace? I'm going to tell you what you do with it. Here's what you do. You accept it. <laughs> you accept it and you enjoy it. You accept it and you enjoy it and you enjoy God's grace because if you've seen and you've tasted God's grace for yourself, if you've been raised with Christ, if Christ is in you and you're in Christ, what Paul says is this, here's what you do, here's how you respond. You seek and you set. You seek and you set. You seek Christ and you set your mind on Christ, right? He says, set on heaven, but then he makes this, this remark, right? That's where Christ is. So what is he saying? Seek Christ. Set your mind on Christ, right? Chase after him. And so what Paul might say is set your mind on what Christ has accomplished in the gift of eternal life that's waiting for you. Delight in his work on your behalf and just let it thrill your soul. Let it overwhelm you, right? Enjoy the reality that Christ sought you out while you were still 
a sinner, while you were still opposing him, while you were still trying to do things on your own. I love uh, Luke uh, chapter 19, verse 10, right? This is uh, Jesus saying this. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Guess who the lost are? Me, <laughs> you, you, right? Like that, we're the lost. We don't seek, we don't save. We don't do any of that. We're, we're sought after and we're saved. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells this parable uh, of a sheep who goes off wandering and, and a shepherd goes in search of this one lost sheep and he expresses the joy when it's found. The shepherd is Jesus. The sheep, me, Okay? That's, that's the story. We went our own way, and so what happens? The shepherd does all of the work. The shepherd goes looking for us. The shepherd brings, uh, throws us on his shoulders, because we're not making it back on our own. It's a miracle we made it as far as we did. And so he does the work, throws us up on his shoulders. He does the work of walking us back. He does the work of rejoicing over us, that that which is lost is now found. And let me tell you this, if you're somebody who hasn't said yes to Jesus as your forgiver and your leader, you need to hear this really clearly. So uh, if you're joining us online, if you're here in the house, just hang with me just one second. You can and you should accept this wonderful gift from Jesus. It's normal for people to say yes to Jesus Christ as their forgiver and leader. And let me tell you this, that's all you have to do. You just have to accept it. You just have to receive it, right? There's no ritual to perform in order to receive it. There's no cleaning up your life before you receive it, right? There's no like term limit of living right for a few weeks before you can come to God. Like literally, as you are right now, you can and you should say yes to Jesus because he's done everything for you, right? You accept it. That's it. That's how you receive Christ. You accept him. And listen, you might be going, well, how do I know? How do I know if I'm... Here's how you'll know. Like if you're hearing what we're saying this morning, you're like singing along with the words or you're hearing the words of, of the music. Uh, maybe you're listening to the prayers that are being prayed. Maybe you're reading scripture and, and you just feel like, oh man, this dry in, in your heart almost kind of jumps at the thought of, of trusting God, right? There's like this wonder, this all your, your spirits leaping at the opportunity to experience God for yourself. That's, that's your invitation. That's the Holy Spirit inviting you, right? You didn't come up with the idea to put your faith in, in Jesus. That's God working in you. And so say yes, right? Say yes. Now, here's what I want to say if you're already a believer. Here's what I would say to you. Resist the urge to earn God's grace. Resist the urge to prove that you're worthy. I'm going to give you a little insider tip. You're not. <laughs> you're not worthy. I'm not worthy. None of us are. And so resist that urge. Like, just stop. Don't even try anymore, right? And when you do, like when you get that, when you try to earn it, re like re repent. Repent. Confess that. Repent. And, and just enjoy his grace, 
right? I know it's so simple, but it's so, it's so deep. Like, just enjoy. Simply enjoy what he has done. Worship and with joy abound in thanksgiving. These are the words that Paul writes in here, right? Spend time with him. Did you know that the whole reason that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life on your behalf, died the death he died under the wrath of God and was raised to new life, do you know why he did that? So you could be with him. And so what could we do now? Be with him. <laughs> That's what Paul's saying. Seek and set, right? Seek and set. Desire him. And so I have two ideas for you that might be helpful to take steps of growth uh, in desiring Jesus and continuing in grace, right? Saved by grace, but continuing in grace. Uh, one's actually on your connection card. So here's the first one. Uh, you might actually read Colossians uh, chapter 2, verses 9 through 15 uh, this week. And here's what I encourage you to do. Read each verse just one verse a day out of there, okay? One verse a day. And, and as you read, I would encourage you to spend like, time thinking about like, what does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean that the fullness of God is in Christ, right? Like in bodily, in, in body, right? What does it mean that he's in me? What does it mean that I'm in him, in his burial, in his resurrection, right? Work through all of that. Uh, worship him, take time to thank him for everything he's done on your behalf, right? Do that each day. So read Colossians 2, 9 through 15 this week. Just one verse every day that'll get you through the week. Here's, a, here, here's another step you might take. <clears throat> we have a book called Christian Beliefs. It's in our bookstore in the Connection Center. And here's what I encourage you to do. If you don't already have this, uh, go pick it up, right? Um, very, very small cost, or just take it. I don't care. Um, but uh, get this book. And here's what I would do. Read chapters 12 through, uh, I think it's 16, no, 15. Read chapters 12 through 15, and some of you guys are going, oh, I can't do that much reading. Uh, listen, these chapters are like four pages a chapter, okay? So they're not, don't let that intimidate you. But here's what these chapters are going to help you do. They're going to help you think really biblically about how does somebody come to faith? What does God do when somebody says yes to Jesus Christ? And so pick this up, a really good resource. I think you'll be encouraged what God has done and what he's doing in your life. And so same thing Paul says, the same way you received Christ, right, by grace, so continue to live and grow by grace. All right, so <laughs> some of you uh, are here this morning and you're like waiting for like this other shoe to drop and you're really annoyed with me right now. <laughs> you know who you are. Uh, no, uh, but you're kind of a little bit annoyed right now uh, because you're worried, you're going, Fritz, <clears throat> I don't disagree with anything you've said. All right, all that's great. But listen, all you've talked about this morning is God's grace, about how everything, how Jesus has done everything and there's no work left for us to do. What about holiness? What about sanctification? What about, right, you read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. We're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift. No one can boast. You didn't read 10. 10's like, hey, all this, you know, so there's good works God has for you ahead of time. You can't just talk about grace. If all you do is talk about grace, people are going to cheapen it. We already have cheapened it. You got to know that. We already have cheapened it. None of us have lived up to the standard of God's grace. Not a one of us. None of us live in a way in which shows that we deserve it. Right? None of us have met that standard or proved that we deserve it. None of us can. That's exactly why Christ came and had to do it for us because we can't 
you have to catch this. Listen, it's not saved by grace. And then from there, you just grind it out until you die. That's, that's not the gospel. And, and actually, if that's your mindset, these passages are for you. Paul says that, that's not what the gospel looks like at all. That's not what Christ came to do at all. At the same time, I will say this. If you view the grace of Christ as a license to do whatever you want and you don't have to worry about anything, you've missed it too. Because that's not grace. You've leaned into something else that's not of Jesus. If a new and transformed life does not accompany genuine faith in Jesus Christ, it's not real. Read through the New Testament. That is clear. That is abundantly clear. But you have to see this, that we are saved by grace and we grow by that same exact grace. Do you see? Do you see? Because when Christ sets your heart free from sin and from death, he sets you free from the guilt of obligation too. He sets you free from condemnation. He does all of that. So don't pick it back up. Let me ask you a question, like seriously. If you were going to attempt, like what are you really going to add to Christ's work? What are you going to add that's not already there? How are you going to make it better? What are you really going to do to earn the value of the death of God's son for your sin? Like what? I'm going to be at church every week. That'll, that's close. <laughs> you know? No, no. Listen, right? Like I'm going to pull up in some of you guys' driveway and come right in your kitchen right now, okay? I'm just going to be straight up with you. Then we're going to end, okay? Um, listen, if your reaction to someone magnifying God's grace is like this obligation to protect it or to worry about people meeting some standard, it may be that you're walking in your own efforts. Right? It may be that you're trying to earn it. It may be that you're grinding it out. Because what's the, what's the redeemed response to God's grace? You know what it is? It's to enjoy it. It's to celebrate God. It's to respond and worship and say, Oh! I don't deserve this. God, thank you. I could never pay you. I, I don't even realize the weight of what you've given me. But I just want to celebrate. I just want to thank you. I just want to word. I just want to I just want to celebrate in joy. Because you know there's no way you could pay him back. You know there's no way you can earn. There's no way you can live up to what it is. And listen, everybody needs to hear this this morning. Enjoy his grace. Enjoy God's grace. Enjoy the fact that Jesus has done all of the work. Enjoy the truth that there's nothing else that you can do that's going to cause God to love you less. Enjoy the truth that there's nothing you can do that's going to cause God to love you more. Enjoy the fact that Jesus lived the life that you and I were supposed to live and he died the death that you and I deserve to die. And enjoy it. Enjoy the fact that God knows how deeply, how deeply sinful you are. And he still loves you and made a way for you to be with him.
Listen, God's grace is unfair. It's lopsided. It's humbling. And when you're on the receiving end, it's even a little embarrassing. And it's good. His grace is good. It's his grace that sets you free, and it's his grace that keeps you growing. I'd like you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We ask this question every Sunday, and because we want to give you an opportunity to hear what God is saying to you right now. And the question is simply this, Jesus, what are you saying to me through this message right now? What are you saying to me through this scripture right now? Father, we just we want to say thank you. In, in light of everything you've done, it, it, it just never seems enough. Saying thank you, saying I love you, saying I worship, like some of the songs, like there's no song that carries the depth of the gratitude that I sense in my own self, and I imagine I, that others sense within themselves. So I'm asking if your Holy Spirit would be able to communicate from me to you and how grateful I am how much I love you and how, how thankful I am that your grace you've done all the work you transform me you change me I'm responding and saying yes but you're the one help us resist trying to earn it or add to it just a moment before we invite you to prayer I just want to give you an opportunity if if you're ready to say yes to Jesus man just do it like don't wait I'm not lingering out I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand like you just know if the Father's inviting you to say yes and put your faith in Jesus like just do it if you're here in the house if you're joining us online like right now wherever you're at do it we would love to know so we can pray with you and we can help you take next steps and you can let us know on your connection card but we also trust the fatherhood of God that if he's powerful enough to draw you out of sin and death into him, he's also powerful enough to help you continue walking in faith uh, with him. But we would love to join you in that journey. So let us know, right? But here in just a moment, what we're going to do is we do love praying for you. And so uh, we've got prayer partners who are getting ready to make it. They're gonna, there's going to be one prayer partner in every corner of the room, and they're going to start moving to those positions right now. And we're going to sing one more song. And during that song, if you'd like to receive prayer, just you're going to get up out of your seat. You come forward. It's normal for Christ followers to, uh, to want to pray, to receive prayer, and to pray for one another. And so uh, I'm going to invite you to do that. Um, so uh, before we do that, let me pray for you. And then I want to invite you to come forward and to receive prayer. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw every single person who needs prayer right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 9.09 or 11.11. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.